It's a well-known saying that Rome wasn't built in a day. In fact, the Colosseum itself took a decade to build. The Leaning Tower of Pisa took 199 years to build, and arguably could have done with a bit longer to get it straight. Close to home, the beautiful and undoubtedly impressive, I am a bit biased, York Minster took 252 years to build. Now don't worry, Seasoned isn't about to turn into a history podcast, but what these examples prove is that sometimes, good things take a bit of time. In today's episode, the spotlight turns to a burger, which has taken more than two months to perfect. I'm not kidding. And after such a long time, it's the moment of truth as we find out if it's ready. They're a very generous proportion to burger, I may say, Charlie. <laughs> yeah. You can't go wrong. We with are that. in Yorkshire, Dave. Yeah, half, I, half pound half patty. Half pounder. Yep. <laughs> if you're going to order a burger on a menu, you want a decent patty. And to help us decide, we're joined by foodie legend, one half of the hairy bikers. Dave Myers is paying us a visit. You've toasted the bun on the barbecue and now you're brushing it in beef fat. Yeah. That's why yeah. I like well, it. Even the yeah. lines on the bun are symmetrical. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're clever, aren't you? My name is Tommy Banks and this is my podcast, Seasoned. In it, I take you behind the scenes of my restaurant, The Black Swan, and my farm, where we grow almost all the ingredients that we serve. This is Field to Fork for your ears. It's March the 29th. This is Seasoned, Episode 6. Dave Myers and the Byland Burger. Before we begin, I want to say a thank you to our sponsors. This podcast is only possible because of True Foods. True Foods are an incredible family business who make the best stocks and sauces. True Foods provides stocks to some of the best kitchens in the UK. One, two and three Michelin style restaurants use their stocks as the base for their recipes. And now, their stocks and sauces are available for you to buy at home too. I'll tell you more about them later in the episode, but you can check out their product range and find lots more information in our show notes. Okay, so there's only one place we can really begin today's episode. I'm recording this on Tuesday the 28th of March. It's 9am now. I might sound a little croaky because it was about three o'clock that we got in last night from Silverstone Circuit, um, where we went to the unveiling of the new Michelin Guide with uh, my head chefs, Callum and Will. And I'm delighted to say that both the Black Swan and Roots have retained their Michelin star for another year, which is a great achievement. So thank you to all the guests who've come this last year. And of course, a massive congratulations to everybody in the team who've, who've made that happen. Um, so yeah, we're delighted. I think the thing last night I was most happy about was um, Kenny Atkinson, a great friend of mine, won a another Michelin star. So for his new restaurant, Solstice in Newcastle, I meaning he's now got two Michelin star restaurants in Newcastle, which is the first time that's ever happened. Uh, he's really flying the flag um, in the northeast. And it's nice to see. Obviously, I could talk about Michelin all day and there's lots to celebrate for this region and for the food industry in general. Um, maybe in a later episode, we'll unpack it a bit more and give a shout out to some of the new star winners. Uh, but just congratulations to everybody. Um, I hope you all had a great evening. But the rest of this episode was recorded a week or two ago. So settle in and enjoy one of my favorite guest experiences so far. 
This week, I've been joined by a super special guest. I don't think Dave Myers needs much introduction. He's one half of the iconic Hairy Bikers, and he's been on our TV screen for decades. Together, they've written more than a dozen cookery books and come up with hundreds, well, probably thousands, of brilliant tasty recipes. Morning, Dave. Welcome to the Black Swan. Uh, before we get inside, let me show you around. Oh, thanks, Tom. Thank you. Dave's visited the restaurant before and met my family, but I wanted to give him the full VIP experience, starting with a walk around the farm. It's not a garden. It's not a kitchen garden. No, not at all. Uh, we've got we've got a couple of acres at the the back where we we call it the garden. Uh, we yes. do sort of herbs and yeah. uh, fruit and flowers and things. Uh, but down the farm really is where where you sort of get down and dirty, which is where all the vegetables are grown and where all the uh, all the animals are reared. Um, is this where you, you grew up, Tom? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I've been kicked out now, but uh, mum and dad still <laughs> live down here. My brother lives down here as well. So uh, yeah, but it's it's special because the nice thing about having a farm, I think, is there's always something going on and especially for me like busy with other bits of work and come yes. back so I've been away for a couple of days you come back and there's there's more calves that have been born or something right. like that it's right. nice because it, it, it never stands still well it's true I like seasonality and everything people bang on about it but by having a farm and access to it it becomes a way of life and surely as a chef you've got access to some of the finest produce you can have you're totally dictated not just even by the seasons but the sort of micro side of what the weather's doing that day Luckily the sun's popped out because we're going to light a barbecue this morning. It was drizzling a bit, but now the sun's come out, so it should be, uh, should be good. In Dave's TV career, he's visited all sorts of restaurants, farms and factories and had some close encounters with cattle too. <laughs> the calves are beautiful, aren't they? Absolutely beautiful. Oh, how old are they? So what is that, a week old? Oh. So, so James's children, I think, I think you met once before, they're... Uh, they name all the animals. Yes. Um, so the <coughs> all of the the, the the male ones especially. So they're all named after boxers. So he's AJ, yeah. Anthony Joshua the bull. Yeah. That's Frank over there. Yeah. Frank Bruno. <laughs> and then um, we've got Tup. So we've got um, Tyson Furry, who's, oh. the, who's the really fur. And then uh, the most prolific young young uh, Tup is uh, Chris Eubank. <laughs> yeah, but you know, isn't it true that if you're going to obviously they are part of the food chain, but you're not meant to name them, are you? Because then you get attached. Yeah, I think you get attached regardless because, like, I think it's a so I think it's a very different relationship though between in animal husbandry compared with you know having a, a pet. Like we've got dogs and things like that. And yes, it's very difficult. But I don't see any harm in naming them because I think you have to understand the, the process, but also. You do have affection and, and love yeah. for the animals that you rear in, and you enjoy their idiosyncrasies and their quirks and the way they frolic about, and and, and I think that's that's fine. But I think you also understand that it's you know for food it and looks, it can be celebrated. It um, looks so healthy though as well. I once got mounted by a wagyu bull. This wasn't very. <laughs> uh, it wasn't it wasn't a very pleasant experience. We'd done this thing, and it was a a, a farmer up in Northumberland. And he was crossbreeding with Aberdeen Angus, and he was called it his YI Wagyu. <laughs> and it was good because it had the flavour of, of like beefy beef and the texture of Wagyu. Anyway, I'd done this thing, piece to camera, I massaged it, I sung to it and everything, just being a turn to turn the camera. Next thing I knew, two hooves on my shoulders, and I got battered against the five bad gate. And my ribs were all bruised and battered. Oh, no. It was on camera. And you know, I, all I could think about is saying, 
Oh no, that's how. Now I know how Mrs. Bull feels. And that was. <laughs> I was trying to keep BBC. And then did they use it? They did, they did, but they didn't use it afterwards when the farmer got the bull off. And my reaction was, oh fucking hell. <laughs> <You know. laughs> it was very heavy. It was, but I tell you what, I, I enjoyed a steak that night. I got yeah. my own back. Yeah, I bet. <coughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. Before the rain comes, because uh, it's uh, it is coming, I think, Dave. Should we head inside? Yeah, that's Yorkshire for you, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I was just saying, it was bright sunshine a minute. Yeah, yeah. it was. Yeah, four seasons in a day. They're beautiful. I'll be back with Dave in just a minute. But last week, I told my farm chef Dickie about our latest venture, a pub. We planned to open yeah, a fairly traditional English pub, serving brilliant food. It's a departure from what we normally do. There's no 13 course tasting menus, but there will be pub classics elevated with our brilliant produce and techniques. And it seems that the pub is a popular move. I've had so many listeners and diners asking about it since we made the announcement. So I think it's time we told you a bit more. I think quite a few uh, people local to us have already guessed this, but the pub is going to be called the Abbey Inn. And it's actually part of Byland Abbey, a beautiful English heritage site which dates back to the 12th century. If you've eaten at the Black Swan, there's a good chance you'll have driven past the ruins of the Abbey. They're just a mile or so from us here in Oldstead, and when the opportunity came up to take on the Abbey Inn, I had to do it. The pub is where I used to work as a potwash when I was just 14. My brother used to work there too, so it does feel like a part of our part of our childhood really. And back then it was probably the most popular place in the area. It was always busy, but over the years since then, it's probably lost its way a little bit. So we want to give it something of a makeover, and it's already well underway. There'll be rooms for people to stay, a beer garden out the side, and of course, plenty to eat and drink. I've got my head chef in place. That's going to be Charlie Smith. Some of you may know him, but he's, he worked for us at the Black Swan, started as a chef to party, and then he went to be sous chef at Roots, and he's, he's worked at both restaurants. Uh, he's really come through the ranks in the company, and uh, yeah, he's, he's ready. He's ready for his first head chef's job, so... I wish him all the luck in the world, and of course I'll be backing him all the way, but he's definitely got the talent to do it. Between the two of us and the rest of the team, we've been coming up with a menu. The first dish I insisted we put on is a burger, and for the last two months, Charlie and I have been working on getting it right. The way the beef is minced, the cheese, the bun, all the toppings, garnishes. And today is the big unveiling, because with Dave having worked up an appetite, I promised him that he can have the first taste of our ultimate burger. So Charlie here, Charlie Meet Dave is- Hi uh, Charlie. Hi Dave, lovely to meet you. Nice to meet you too. So Charlie's worked at the Black Swan and at Roots and he's gonna head up the kitchen at the Abbey Inn. And the idea is it's gonna be a real farm to table pub, really celebrating all the ingredients, but in a, you know, in a much more humble way than, than we do in the fine dining restaurants. Um, so I've challenged Charlie to make the ultimate burger and I, I don't know about you, and this is why I want to do it with you, because I always think of you, yourself and Sai and the hairy bikers, you make delicious food, which is proper and honest, and you don't mess around with it, you just make flavor, I think. And I think often burgers can be, well, they've been reinvented a million times over, and sometimes they're not as great as they look. So I sort of challenged Charlie to take some of the beautiful Dexter beef that we've got and make a burger. I want it, and I'm putting the pressure on you here, Charles. I want that, I want it to be sort of the technique of a Michelin star kitchen, but taste just like a great burger. 
So that's the sort of techniques and challenges I've got. But you've got a pretty amazing burger that, that you guys Yeah, we, over the years, because I mean, the bikers, we've been going 20 years now, Tommy. It, it's funny. Um, you know, I think one day we'll get started properly. <laughs> um, but we used to do things like rump steak, burgers, and, and we put everything from thyme, Worcestershire sauce, all sorts of bits and pieces, onions in the burgers. And then years ago, we started working on our, our ultimate burger. Yeah. It's funny, that word ultimate. I don't quite like it with food somehow, but yeah. I, know, I know what you mean. Um, it's the best version of what you can, you can do. Yeah, but it. we worked out our ultimate burger had four ingredients right. and it is the best burger we've ever cooked it was a heston's thing trick of taking chuck steak and then taking it till it was nearly frozen really chilled down then mincing it then and it really did something to the texture of the beef that made it almost kind of processed yeah uh, softer yeah then salt and pepper and the secret ingredient we found was for every 800 grams of beef 50 grams of bone marrow Ooh, yeah. and, and that would you was mince it. that through as well I dice it we just minced it through and mixed yeah. it all together yeah, with yeah. our hands and you know put it together in a patty slapped it on a grill and it was one of those things you know Tommy when you cook on the well though everybody loves your food but occasionally with a bike as we cook something on the telly like when we made I think in a series you were in we did um, a faggot vindaloo which wow. is a homage to your, yeah, no, wow, not really. Oh, really? No, not really. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but we cooked these burgers and we had to cook up the here's one we did earlier, the spare ones we had before, oh. and it was just stopped <laughs> filming for half an hour, we cooked the lot up. Yeah. Um, but there is something about stuff like burgers, or say a sausage casserole, mm. if you get it right, with good sausage, good produce, it's amazing. I think crews are the ultimate acid test of whether food's good or not. I, I know what you mean. I've done dishes on TV and people go, oh, that's nice, that's on me. You know, right. And then there's other times you do <laughs> food on TV and everyone comes in like a plague of locusts yes. and eats the whole thing as yeah. soon as the camera's cut. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel pressure now? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> but it's one of those things that so many people do and so many people try to do the, the best version of. Um, it's kind of an impossible task, I suppose. Mm. They're a very generous proportion to burger, I may say, Charlie. <laughs> yeah. You can't go wrong. We with are that. in Yorkshire. Yeah, half, Aye, half pound half patty. pounder. Yep. <laughs> you can order a burger on a menu, you want a decent patty. Um, the trick is, I suppose, if you're serving a patty that large, it needs to be like perfectly textured. Because if it is rubbery at all or chewy, you're going to know about it from the get go. So, yep. um, like you said about freezing the meat, I think our butchers spend a lot of time and money investing in the right equipment to get that mince right in the first place. So, kind of, we pick out the, the cuts from our. Dexter cows, mm. they mince it for us perfectly and then send it over seasoned, ready to go. And we just press it into patties ourselves. But by doing that, we make sure that our burger is like perfectly textured, yeah. not overworked at all. So are you going to use, with the pub and the burgers, are you going to use all your own beef? That's the plan, yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And it's just a great way of using up those cuts that might not initially make it onto the tasting menus and whatnot. For me, a burger begins with the beef, and that has to be grass-fed. But there's lots more that needs to go in it than beef. They look amazing, Charlie. But what else is in it? So a big part of a burger is the cheese. And we wanted to make kind of like a custom blend of small farmhouse cheeses. The plan is to kind of pipe it on top of the burger at the end of the grilling process. And as it's resting, the cheese is going to melt over it. So it's not like a Juicy Lucy, is it? No, not so much. It's, I mean, we were kind of aiming for a cheese slice texture. So for yeah, me, yeah. that is kind of like, yeah. that is what a burger is. 
I think people kind of get that wrong sometimes when they're putting big blocks of cheddar or something like that on top and it kind of goes a bit greasy and maybe it's a bit too yeah it's just it's not what I would personally consider like to be the ultimate what what um, cheese cheese. so you've got a piping bag there yeah so what is now squirty cheese yeah it's like this is basically our kind of stringy cheese um there's a lot of Tumworth in there which is like a British camembert style cheese uh red spark and hoe and ogler shield shield. yeah um i mean that's just great as a melting cheese anyway so we kind of threw that in there for that but for the flavor as well um yeah you'll have to try it it's just a a wicked combination of cheesy flavors and when i went into it i I had no idea how it was going to taste but it tastes pretty amazing i think (laughs) (laughs) you get get all the best bits of all. we'll be the judges of that charlie (laughs) this cheese is something else Honestly, after we finished recording, our producers were eating it straight from the piping bag. Disgusting. What's the rest of the condiments? What, anything you're less confident about? What's... I mean, they're all here for a reason. That's like a, um, so it's the, the trimmings of the salt aged um, beef that we get from our butchers. Mm. So you're going to use the, the fat to sort of brush on the burger? That, that is purely just going to be uh, spread onto it. And then as it's grilling, we'll just keep topping it up. So those kind of little bits of meat on the outside are getting all crisped up and um and it's just a beautiful flavor from the aged fat i've got some rosemary and thyme in there as well just to kind of get those flavors into it why not um here we've got like a smoked bacon and um chicory root jam That's never as a burger had such a build-up charlie yeah, <laughs> yeah. so you got some onions yeah these are um yeah, just, I mean, when it comes to the right season, we'll be using our own um, sensu onions uh, and we've just fried them quite hard in bone marrow. It's actually smoked bone marrow that I've used. Um, bit of mustard, that's just um, some Dijon mustard, which is fairly traditional. Charlie's always pretty slap-handed with his mustard, I find, so. <laughs> yeah, watch might... out. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a... um, this is a fermented ketchup that uh, Chef Dickie Lad makes for us in his Palace of Preserves. That's a really unique, cool product. Wow. So it's the tomatoes from the end of the season and all the tomatoes, whether they're underripe or overripe, we ferment them all and then it all gets cooked down into a tomato ketchup, which we use on the breakfast at the Black Swan, but it's going to soon be the burger ketchup. It's just so it's an like unbelievable a, product. Isn't like it? a sweet it's... and sour tomato yeah. ketchup. Wow. And then these are some of our own gherkins. So we grow our own cucumbers, some are like the, the bigger, uglier, gnarled varieties always get left over and we just kind of grind and pickle them. Um, it's a big last... part of what you do, isn't it? Fermenting and pickling here. Charlie, what's the, the aerosol that you have in the middle of the tray? This looks really fancy, but it's actually just a, a, a vinegar infused with like old roasted tomatoes. But why is it in a squirty bottle? It's in a squirty bottle because we're going to be seasoning our lettuce leaves with it. Um, oh, just so you get like a fine mist of Yeah, season. exactly. Why not? And you don't want to eat them unseasoned lettuce leaves. So it's just our way of being able to get that bit of or dressing on there. Or a soggy lettuce leaf at the same time. Oh yeah, absolutely. That lettuce leaf's got to be perfect. A perfume bottle spraying a spritz of, what was it? Over the burger might be a tad over the top, but I like the precision. In fact, I love it. Right, shall I go and get these on the grill then? Then we can have a taste. The anticipation is... is, is <laughs> yes, that's quite a build-up. Charlie will be cooking most things on open fire at the pub. So to give Dave a true taste of the burger, he's fired up a little barbecue outside the farmhouse. 15 minutes later, he's back with some beautiful flame-grilled beef patties. 
all ready to serve. It smells amazing. I th I tell you what, you've, you're a very talented man to be able to cook that outside in the rain. In the pouring rain. Pouring yeah, right, the build. So what are you oh. doing now, Charlie? I'm just giving this another little brush in the infused um, beef fat. You've toasted the bun on the barbecue and now you're brushing it in beef fat. Yeah. That's why yeah. I like but it. But even the yeah. lines on the bun are symmetrical. <laughs> yeah. Oh, clever, aren't you? The layering of the burger is so important. I want textures, flavors, all balanced. It has to eat well. And of course, like it can't fall apart. So many burgers fall apart. No pressure, Charlie. So going with a healthy amount of this smoked bacon jam. That is a healthy amount of smoked bacon jam. It looks fabulous, mate. It really does. Your cheese does look like, I don't know, I'd call it almost like American cheese. The yeah. way it's just sat on top of there. Yeah, but whereas the American cheese is probably two molecules away from plastic, <laughs> it's, it's really good Yorkshire cheese, isn't yeah. it? That's the uh, that's the trick. It hasn't split at all, all nicely uh, emulsified still. Spritz the lettuce. A little bit of spritz into it. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's a bit of me, that. It's just so juicy as well, isn't it? I've eaten over 30 burgers over the last few weeks as this recipe has evolved, but this really is about as good as it gets. I'll put a picture online, but I think it's pretty stunning. No, I think the ultimate burger. I think I think it, it justly earns that title. Banging burger. Brilliant. Mm. A brilliant burger. Mm. <laughs> ultimate burger, banging burger. Well, we've actually decided to call it the Byland Burger after Byland Abbey, which sits across the road from our new pub. I cannot wait to have it on the menu and to hear what you guys think of it. Later on, I'll sit down with Dave and chat all things food and the hairy bikers. But first, it's time for a word on our sponsors. If you're a regular listener to Seasoned, you'll know all about True Foods, our headline sponsor. True Foods make the most incredible stocks and sauces that are not just used in Michelin-style restaurants, but you can get them at home too. They're a wonderful family business, and I'm absolutely delighted for the Mitchell family and everybody at True Foods, as this week they have signed an amazing deal to be an exclusive supplier to Waitrose. So you can now buy True Foods stocks and sauces in your local Waitrose. So head out there and get them. Or of course, head to truefoods.com and use the code SEASON10 to get 10% off your order just for listening to the podcast. Thank you for your support. So this is the part of the show where I talk about a small producer or, or something interesting. And I want to tell you about a little project that we've been working on for the last year or two. Um, so that's called Banks Brothers Canned Wine. Um, so I know wine in the can sounds a little weird to some people or some people might be totally on board of it. Um, but how it came about was uh, in lockdown in South Africa. Uh, the government in South Africa stopped them from being able to sell alcohol. So a lot of our friends out there who we've been buying wine off for years and years um, were no longer able to sell it. And it came around to the next year and people were literally pouring wine down the drain in order to fill the tanks with the next year's harvest. So trying to be entrepreneurial, but mainly not wanting to waste any wine, uh, we got tank samples sent across um, to the UK on, the, on a plane. And uh, me and my brother just sat and tasted all the wines. It was a very, very difficult job and liberated some of these wines and brought them over to the UK. So we would buy whole tanks of delicious wines and we found a mobile cannon line to go straight to the vineyard in South Africa and can them. 
and then ship them across. So um, yeah, it's been a really fun project. It's been great to help out uh, a lot of our South African uh, friends. Uh, cans are so much more sustainable than bottles, lighter, easy to ship, infinitely more recyclable. Um, and I just like the way we're breaking down boundaries in fine wine. Some of these wines have been like on our wine list at 70 quid a bottle and they're like six, seven pound a can. If you're interested in canned wine and fine canned wine at that, check out banksbrothers.co.uk. Earlier, I welcomed hairy biker Dave Myers to the Black Swan, and he got to indulge on our breathtaking Bylan Burger. But now it's time to have a chat. Dave and his TV partner, Cy King, have been traveling the world for nearly 20 years as the hairy bikers. On two wheels, they've been to Asia, across America, around the Mediterranean, and there's barely a town or city in the UK that they haven't visited. But I started by wanting to know what's next on the hairy bikers menu. What's next for the hairy bikers then? Um, we've got a new book out um, ne next month, yeah, because it's March now, um, and it's healthy eating. Ah. Um, it's not not a diet book because I, I, Si and I are both we've kind of lost the weight we need. But I've had I've had a pretty crappy year really with mm. chemotherapy and stuff. So it's eat eat well for life really, yeah. and I think it's a about eating for the immunity, your heart, for fibre. And as, as you get older, well, as you're young as well, it's important to eat well, but still, you know, have that knack of making food tasty so you don't feel as though it's a penance. So that's going out. And then, all being well, I'm going to go back to filming in May. Wow. And we did go north a few years ago when we were with you. Yeah. So we're going to do go west now. Go west. Wow. Okay. baseball there. So is that all the west country in Wales, is it? Or? Oh, no. We're going to start in the north coast of Scotland. Oh, wow. Up there. That's where the bikers kind of started. Um, Kingy would come up to me. I lived in Huntley in Aberdeenshire. We ride over the west coast and um, around Glenelg and all, all up there to store and, and just, just revisit some of our lost youth and then work our way down. Places... Um, like on Merseyside as well, yeah. and, and like Lancashire, a lot of the growers there, um, North Wales, South Wales, and Devon. We think we leave Cornwall out because I think everybody's had a go at Cornwall. Done that, yeah. um, so we're doing that. Wow, that's and exciting. Then work on another book for Christmas. Wow. Um, so you... busy. And I'm going to try and do a couple of festivals, the Yorkshire Dales as well, yeah. this year, because I missed out on all of that last year. Yeah, of course. How's this last year? You know, obviously you've had a terrible time this last year, but how has that changed your diet then? Have you changed the way you eat much? Well, it's funny. When you first start chemotherapy, um, it was quite hard. It, it was a different... I'm still having it. Yeah. But it's like... It, it really was brutal. But you lost so much weight, and then it's a battle to get your calories in. So at first I thought, right, this is great. I can eat all those pies I haven't been <laughs> eating for years. Uh, except the appetite was dreadful. Really? And for me, who's a, a glutton, um, losing my appetite was was awful. Uh, um, you know, a can of soup was about as far as I could go. But then slowly it comes back. Um, and now I've got to the point where I'm at the weight I want to be. Mm. And I want to maintain it. I am starting to think very carefully about what I put in. Mm. You know, I have to cut down on, the, you know, not so much butter. Because I've, I've got the calories in now. I've been eating a lot more pulses. Mm. An awful lot more beans and... And again, well, it's, it's your ethos, Tommy. Mm. It's like fresh food, thinking where food comes from. And I know times are hard, but it's like we touched upon it. I would sooner eat mince 
mm. from, from a good cattle or a good butcher. Mm. If I can't afford the steak, yeah. rather than eat cheap steak. No, I think that's, that's absolutely right. And it's also, the more I look into sort of diet and things like that, I think the whole food angle of it, if you're just, I think you can't go too far wrong if you're actually just cooking food. So you're using mm -hmm. real vegetables and real meat or fish or eggs or butter or whatever it is. That's got to be good for you. I think as soon as it's coming out of a packet and it's been made in a factory or something, yeah. that's not going to be healthy. And I think if you just took that as a broad, no matter what your sort of overall diet is, I think if you take that as an overall ethos, you can't go that far wrong, really. No, you're right. I mean, we had one of the shocking things we had in America. We were um, we were filming pretty well on Route 66 and a lot yeah. of the strip towns. And, and actually, apart from the Jack in the Box, the McDonald's, they're fine now and again. You know, everybody loves it now and again. I'm, I'm, I'm really not dissing that. <clears throat> but after a while on the road, mm. we decided to, as a crew, we would go to the supermarket and have a picnic. Nice. So we went and bought the deli count, you know, the American deli counts and everything. And we bought a couple of loaves. And I kid you not, on the back of the loaf, it said, this bread contains known carcinogens. So it's a government health warning on your daily bread. And I'm not exaggerating. And that's when I think you've really got to think about what you're eating. And like last night at your restaurant, we ate that your sourdough bread with the fermented grain. Yeah. It was probably the best bread I've ever tasted in my life. Thank you. Yeah. But actually, to my ideal of heaven was if I could have a slice of that toast with some butter and mm. a couple of free-range poached eggs, mm. you're not going to go far wrong with that. Oh, that's healthy. Well, there's only three ingredients to that bread. Yes. Flour, water, and salt, and everything else is natural yeast. Yes. Uh, and, and then, well, we can make you some butter from the Jersey cow out there and poach a couple of eggs. You've got no food, Miles, and, and, it, and it's healthy. It's real food. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's real food. I think that's the, that's the secret. I could honestly sit and talk to Dave for hours. We chatted about his time in the States and how his own recipes have changed over the years, and conversations turned to cookbooks. So you said you've got another book coming out. How many books is that now? I think it's either 28 or 29. Wow. I know it sounds daft, but I've lost count, but I kind of have really. Um, <laughs> Do you ever cook your own recipes at home? Do you ever look up? Oh, yeah. yes, very much so. There's keepers, especially on the day-to-day -day healthy food. Mm. You know, there's some that have become family favourites. But sometimes it's funny, like everybody else, I'll have ingredients and I'll look on the internet. Mm. And yeah. uh, I'm halfway through the recipe, I thought oh, it's one of ours. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've got a good memory for food and for recipes. Mm. You know, like I'm going to remember every component of the, the meal I ate last night. I've got that sort of head. But I can do that going back 10, 15 years. Wow. But the recipes are there now. But if you think with those books, if you average 100 recipes, there's nearly, must be two and a half thousand recipes that are published. But then of course, for all the recipes that aren't published, yeah. there's maybe an equal number that haven't got that far on ideas stage. But things change. Some of the recipes that we, we did maybe 20 years ago, they're really not relevant now. Mm. You know, and we've learned a lot. You must know yourself. Yeah. Your, your taste change, your food knowledge changes. It's amazing how food does progress and change, oh, isn't yeah. it? And you say, say something from 20 years ago isn't relevant. I think, well, it's still food made out of ingredients. But I think also fashions change and what people want to eat yeah. changes. But there, that, that's uh, that's faster. But there are things that are classics and the things that, I mean, it's funny because we've been doing burgers today and doing sort of pub food. And when you talk about pub food, yeah, you, you kind of want the, the things that you're familiar with just done really well. Like, I mean, I think of pub food, I think of sticky toffee pudding. I think of Sunday mm. lunches. Mm. Um, 
one of my favorite things French onion soup I think I'd definitely like to do that in the yeah. winter yeah it's it's lovely it's familiarity and comfort comfort food mm. it's a title that I think is so relevant we, we all need that but fortunately a lot of comfort food is born out of poverty mm. so it doesn't have to be that expensive mm. um, and we know through our website the recipes that people use if we do anything like a sausage casserole or a, a chili those recipes do get used an awful lot remember in the early days we did one it, it, we were in Mexico and we we're down near Guatemala and we got this recipe it's for a pre-hispanic stew which involved about oh, 20 ingredients and and when we filmed, there's an old lady who's grinding pumpkin seeds on a granite stone and everything. And it's like, we, we published the recipe. Yeah, it was great, but, you know, nobody's going to cook it. So there isn't a point to it. Yeah. And we learned that quite quickly. Um, but, you know, you, you can take people on quite a journey with recipes. Mm. And you can stretch people. A lot of recipes aren't that simple, but you break it down so it does work. I think that's really interesting what you say about a lot of food coming from, from poverty. Mm. I think you, if you look at um, food across the world, and, and some reasons I think why in the past, I think, you know, if you go back, you know, the last 20 years has been a real renaissance in British Ooh, cooking. Yeah. But going back before, you know, the French would take the mickey out of us because we were terrible cooks. Mm. And I often think that, you know, we look at other countries and think they have these amazing food cultures, but often it's because they've had these sort of famines or wars or something like that, which has meant they've started cooking in a certain way. I sometimes think, you know, in, in the UK, we almost had things too good we haven't had such extremes that we've come up with these amazing or strange ways of of doing things that you actually find in some of the other countries yeah i think it, we had an amazing food culture up until world war one yeah. i mean escoffier and, and brillat savaran the, the great french chefs mm. the first sort of media chefs they were mm. all working in london world war one came and we lost so many of our men and there was women's suffrage and women were working mm. so the cooking from home thing then there was a the depression mm. then world war two and then, you know, I, th I think rationing finished in 1954. So a knock on a decade after that to get over that. You're talking about 60 years, really, where we weren't terribly prosperous yeah. in this country on the food front. And then the 60s, by God, like the food I grew up with as a child is appalling. Mm. And, you know, we really embraced plastic, what we called plastic bread and, you know, powdered soups. And, yeah. and you know, it was dreadful. And it was only really like the 90s, that's with people like the Rue Brothers coming in, that we started to get more involved in the high end of food. And I think recently, we're, you know, we're going back to our roots, aren't we? Mm -hmm. you know, that so that's almost the opposite of what I said, but I think you're absolutely right. The effect that the, the World Wars had on yeah. British um, food not, probably knocked it back almost half a century. Yeah, I think so. But when you go up to, like a few years ago, we we're filming in Calabria and Puglia in Italy, in the Cucina Povera. The, the poor people's kitchen. By God, it's good, it's so simple. But there's some magic there. Mm. We call it like culinary homeopathy. I mean, we were with a chef and he was making a, a dish. It's that pasta dish with chickpeas. And um, there was half a clove of garlic. And you think of Italian chefs putting so much garlic in. Mm. It was half a clove and I was, and he was, it, it, no, no, enough, enough. And um, I don't know what it was. It was so tasty. There, there was a magic there. And I think if we could all eat like that, we'd all do very well. Mm. You know, the, the occhietti with the turnip tops. The little ears. Is yeah, 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 yeah. Just just unbelievably good. Recipe writing is difficult because you know how to do it, but it's how you explain it to somebody who doesn't know. And I always find that's where I go wrong. I'm too sort of blasé and... Well, you've got to be so expedential. I mean, we had one complain because his wife 
had, he'd gone home and, and his wife had made a pie and she was rolling an egg in its shell on the top. And um, I said, well, why was she doing it? He said, well, it says brush with eggs, so she was. Oh. And just think, well, you know, you can't assume anything. Um, wow. You know, the amount of stuff we get, like, why don't you do recipes for two? There's only two of us and they're always for four. I said, well, you want a calculator with a book? <laughs> um, As of all my guests, I wanted to know if Dave had a favourite seasonal ingredient. But I guess you, you travel around and you get the benefit of trying food from all over the place. This podcast is all about seasonal yeah. cooking and seasonal food. Um, what is the, if you were going to pick one sort of season, you know, something that's only around for a little bit of time or, or a certain season, it doesn't even have to be in the, in the UK, I suppose, with all the travelling that you do, what would that be? I think what comes to mind, it, it's, it's just on the top of my head, it's it's Romania where, where my wife's family are from. It's seasonal by the count that since communist times, most people have their own garden, yeah. so they have to cook seasonally. That's what it is. I mean, I was there last week, and what was lovely in the markets, old ladies will be there with a little trestle table and newspaper in little squares, and you buy your seeds there, like little little twists, newspaper twists of seeds for your garden. And I think in the summer when I've been over there, it's my mother-in-law's for breakfast. The peppers are perfect at that time of year. And she keeps chickens. Mm -hmm. And okay, the bread's not great. It's, it's still an Eastern European bread out there that's made for, what's the word? It's made for volume rather than taste. Yeah. But when she sits me down, if I've got a little hangover, I'll be sitting down there and have eggy bread Ooh. with just sliced raw peppers. Nice. And, and that I love. And the seasonality there is good. And there's a, Again, the, the, they have the, the fermenting and the smoking. You know, it's like nothing goes to, to waste with a pig. Um, but the seasonality there, I, I find that quite, that, that's quite in your face, really. So what is your t favourite time of year to, to cook then? I think spring. Yeah. It's all coming together then. And um, coming from Cumbria, I love the, the salt marsh lamb when it comes on. It's quite early. Yeah. And just do that, some lamb shanks with some barley. Mm. Cook that off. No, I love stuff like that, and the, the flowers are out, and you know the baby vegetables. I think we found that in our own garden. You know, we, we could eat the very first crop without guilt because we grow in our own. We seem mm. to have a surfeit of food. But no, I, I, I love spring. But there again, autumn. Mm. You know, it's it's got summer. Oh, it's all good, isn't it? There's seasonality of food is so important, mm. and then you've got the winter dishes. Yeah, the comfort. Yeah, so, so you just basically really like food all year round, don't you? Oh yeah, I was, I, I was a greedy child and I'm still a greedy man. Now I've got my appetite back. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I, I love food. I don't know what you told me, but I never get bored with cooking. No. And I never get bored with the world of food. But like at my age, I'm 65 now, but I found out that world has expanded and there's still so much more I want to learn and to eat. Um, and you know, I'm coming to places like the Black Swan. You know, it, it's... I learned so much last night about about food through eating, through your knowledge, you know, and, and thankfully in Britain now, we can do that with chefs like yourselves, but also I think the great thing about Britain is we can eat around the world, mm. much more so than other European countries. Mm. And Dave told me that before his diagnosis, he would embrace seasonal growing from his garden in France. We have a good garden, a house in France, and... Um, we have a garden there, and I, I grew up in a back-to-back -back in Barrow and Furness, so gardening wasn't my strong point. But together, Lil and I, before lockdown, we had 130 varieties 
of fruit and veg. That's a lot of work. Yeah, it? it was about a polytunnel, it was all laid out, and we lost a lot because we couldn't get back into France. Oh. And to be fair, we haven't really got on top of it since then. Um, oh, that's a shame. I think we're going to give up with it. But it was that feeling of digging potatoes. And, I, you know, I tried to keep the lid on my weight. Um, but I just thought, and there was a, in the house there was a deep fat fryer built into this old range. Right. So I right, went and got three litres of sunflower oil. I dug some potatoes, double cooked chips straight from the garden. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we used to say it was, it was just, they were just indecently good. But it was the potatoes. <laughs> or going to the polytunnel and taking half a dozen varieties of tomatoes out, just with good olive oil, red wine, vinegar, mm. and maybe a shallot. But then when you come to the bottom, leave it for an hour or so, and you get some good French bread and dig it into the juice. It, it was, you, can, you could forget the, the meat, you yeah. know, um, that was the star. But it was about that seasonality, mm. freshness, uh, joyous, you know. That's mm. why I think pick your own. I don't know why that seems to be going out of fashion now because of health and safety, I think. But it's got to have its place for getting people into that fact of eating I remember doing that as a kid. Pick your own was great because, of course, you eat your own as you go around as well, don't you? So you feel like you you get good value for what you're picking. <laughs> That's you being a Yorkshireman, Tommy. <laughs> I hope we can bring a slice of unbelievably good food to our new pub. And I had to extend an invite for Dave to come along for the grand opening. Well, Dave, thanks for coming up. It's always a pleasure to host you and uh, to have you up on the farm. Um, best of luck with the, with the new book. I'm looking forward to reading that. And, Thank you. Uh, you're gonna to have to come back. Come back when we open the uh, the pub. I'd love you to come and try try the burger proper. Well, well, we'll hold you to that one, Tommy. Yeah, if I don't get the invite, I won't come again. I'll have a dirty protest. <laughs> this this is the invite now. I'm inviting you up. Thank you very much. I, I would love to try it. And um, Charlie's done you proud with that. It's exciting. Yeah. You must be. I'm excited for you. Oh no, I'm excited to come and eat eat there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how much work I'll be doing there, but I'll be eating there plenty. There'll be more details on the opening in a future episode. But next time, we have another legend join us at the farm and another member of a well-known double act. The brilliantly funny Mel Gedroich is here and she's been tasked with making cocktails. For more information about Seasoned, check out my website, www.tommybanks.co.uk or check us out on social media. If you've enjoyed the episode, please leave us a positive rating and a review. It would mean an awful lot to me and it really helps to support us and get this podcast off the ground. Most importantly though, tell your friends, tell someone else you've enjoyed it. Maybe they'll join us on our journey too. Seasoned is a What's the Story podcast. It's hosted by me, Tommy Banks, and produced by Daryl Brown and Sophie Ellis.